You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. What's up, Revolution? If you're new here, I understand that that's a very strange way to start a sermon, but just yell something back if you want. Please, no obscenities. What's up, Revolution? All right, now that's it's what we call like engagement. It's actually done for a reason. It's so like you maybe focus your attention up here for the next three minutes. Like I don't know after that, who knows what's going to happen to your attention span? I don't know. Most most people in here don't have the attention span of better than a flea. Um, I'm sorry, my sense of just so you know, if you're new here, my sense of humor is kind of crass. Uh, I've been called a jerk before. It's true. Uh, I'm just messing with you guys. Uh, happy Easter. This is my fa- like legitimately my favorite holiday. Ever. I I like this holiday more than Christmas. I understand if Jesus Christ wasn't born, he couldn't have died and risen from the dead. But in in my mind, somehow I work it around Easter. Well, it's not just in my mind. It's in the Apostle Paul's mind if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Easter is the most important day of the year. It's the day Jesus Christ came back from the dead. The Apostle Paul said that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then our preaching is useless. Your faith is futile. We've been misrepresenting God and everyone's still going to hell. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. Right? And that's what we celebrate. This is the best day of the year. I get super pumped. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just in a really good mood. I love Easter. And I also love memes. Anyone memes? Fans of memes? If you don't know, it's those pictures with writings on them that always make you chuckle. You see on Facebook, some people post too many every day. God help us. Um, but here are some good ones for today. <laughs> Classic, Right? Any PETA members in the audience, I'm really sorry. I did not make that photo. I found it. Um, I hate the Easter Bunny. I hate that. I hate it. It's fictitious. Peter Cottontail. I don't know if that's supposed to be the Easter Bunny. I'm not good with my nursery rhymes. But that always made me laugh. What else we got? (laughs) Come on. Ah, That's good. Six cents reference. I see new people on Easter. All right, what else we got? That is not my cat, but that looks a lot like my cat, Judah. Um, I love cats. I'm, I'm weird. Like, if I was, like, a 70-year-old cat lady, like, I wouldn't be a whole lot different than I am now. Um, what else we got? Is the best one. <laughs> if you don't know, YOLOs, you only live once, speak for yourself. And also, a disclaimer, that is not an accurate picture of Jesus. Jesus was not white. Um, I once heard the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was being white in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> Because it's just not accurate. Anyway, um, enough of that. All right. <laughs> I have a lot of fun. I really, really enjoy Revolution Church. Um, but Revolution is really weird. All right. Um, and, and, I, and, and I put this in my notes to say this, but you guys have actually proven me wrong. Generally speaking, there are actually more people on a given Easter. But apparently you guys really like outdid yourself and invited a lot of people to come with you um, to, to worship. So like, well done, you people who, who were inviting one, uh, people to come. Usually we're, we're a lot smaller on holidays because we're a college um, church. That's just kind of how it's ended up. About 50% of our church is college students. Um, but just so you know, if you're new here, we are like so blessed to have you here. Um, I mean that. I'm really excited that you're here. Um, and just uh, before we get rolling on this, if you're here um, and you're not a Christian, or if you're here and you're not a believer, um, I hope that the truth of who Jesus is that we're going to be looking at this evening. I hope that the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done becomes real to you. That is what I have been adamantly begging God to do, is to make this truth 
real to you, that you would repent, um, turn away from your sin, acquire a new mind about Christ, and begin to follow Him and, and cling to Him for your salvation. That's my, that's my prayer for you if you don't know Jesus personally. Um, so that, that's what I'm hoping that will happen this evening. But if you're here um, and you are a believer, um, spoiler alert, you're going to hear some things you already know. Right, Just throwing that out there. If you're here and you're a Christian, you, you probably already know some of these things. Uh, but my prayer has been for you believers here tonight is that you allow these truths that you already know not to be just some stuff that you check off a box of, yeah, I believe that, but that you'll let these truths wash over you, that you would stand in awe of the gospel, that you would stand in awe of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you would find the grace of God in Jesus Christ just more amazing every single time that you think about it. Right, so that, that's my prayer for you. But tonight, well, like I said earlier, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That is an insane claim that we make. That Jesus Christ, that a man was dead for three days and then came back from the dead, and because he lives, we are saved from punishment whenever we die. That's one of the wildest claims that we could possibly make, but it's true. It's true. Um, but as, as crazy as it is, it's also the most beautiful thing in the world because that means that we don't have to save ourselves, that Jesus has done everything necessary for us. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died and suffered the wrath that we deserve, and he was raised from the dead so that we'd be raised to life too. Um, and because he lives, we have forgiveness, and, and we have hope in a world that generally seems bleak and hopeless. Um, but to look at that hope found in Jesus, um, tonight we're going to be in the Gospel of John. Um, we are going to be uh, in chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. Um, just so you know, if you're here and, and you're new, we have, it's, oh, you beat me to the punch, Chris. Well done. Chris is the dude who runs our slides and sound. Um, it's going to be up here on the screen. Um, and if you're new and you don't have a Bible um, at home or the Bible you have is really hard to understand, lots of these and nows and just stuff the way we don't talk anymore, there are blue Bibles in the backs of those pews. Take it home with you. Um, it's a really easy to read translation. It's faithful to the original. Um, so take that home with you. It's super good. It's our gift to you. Um, but some of you guys might know this story in, in John chapter 11. Um, we're looking at the story of Lazarus's resurrection, where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for four days. Um, and it seems kind of weird to celebrate Jesus's resurrection by looking at Lazarus' resurrection. Like whenever I was talking to my brother-in-law about this, he's like, Dave, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I think you're talking about the wrong resurrection here, man. Um, but in this passage, I'm fully aware, uh, but, but in this passage that we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus make a really, really, really profound statement. He says this, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And we're going to see this evening how Jesus is the way to true life and how he causes us to be resurrected as well as he did to Lazarus. And through that, we're going to see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. All right, so without any, any more, we're going to go ahead and jump into John eleven seventeen through 44. We're just going to read through the whole bit. Verse 17, John writes, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. It's Lazarus's brother, or Lazarus's sisters. Um, 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. 
Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to, see, going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Or the King James Version says, Lord, he stinketh. Can't make that up. Just throwing that out there to you. Um, sorry. Um, I lost my spot. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. All right, so a little bit of background on that story if you're not familiar. I know we kind of jumped into the middle of a chapter. Um, one, that's a pretty crazy story. Right, Jesus told a dead man to live and he lived. That's wild, right? But if you're God, you can do things like that. Um, but Mary and Martha had actually sent for Jesus days before, right? And in the first uh, 16 chapters of, of, or 16 chapters, first 11, good night, chapter 11, uh, first 16 verses of chapter 11, um, we, we see that, that Jesus had been called upon by Mary and Martha. They, they had basically said, Jesus, come quick. Our brother Lazarus is dying. The guy that you love very much, a good friend of yours, come and do something before he dies. We know that you can heal him. Uh, but Jesus decided not to go. Just point blank. Like, just told his disciples, like, no, we're not going to go there yet. Um, I'm going to display my glory, right? And Jesus had bigger plans to display his power to the glory of God, right? Which is why at the, end of, at the end of the whole thing, right before he raises him from the dead, he says, I'm praying out loud so that these people can see that my power comes from God, right? So he had bigger and better plans um, for everything. But by the time that he got to the scene, Lazarus had been dead for four days, um, and just a little preface uh, before, we, before we hop in any further. Even though Lazarus had died, there is hope. Right? It's because Jesus always brings hope with him. Even for dead men. No matter what the situation is, if Jesus shows up on any given scene, if Jesus speaks life into any given situation, there is always hope. No matter where you are. So I, and I say that because I know in any given crowd, whether it's Christians or, or, or non-Christians... There are people who feel hopeless. There are. Whether it's a, a marital issue, whether it's you know, school, whether it's not being able to find a job, financial stuff. Um, 
And whatever it might be, some people here I know for a fact feel hopeless. I know they feel broken, that life is too hard, and they're just despairing. I know that because I'm a human being too. Um, But in Christ we have hope. And that's exactly what we're celebrating today. Again, Jesus lives and he conquered the problem of sin and death. And everything else is minuscule in compared to Jesus conquering those problems. And that is our hope. So what I want you to take home more than anything, if you only remember one thing from this whole sermon, remember this. Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to memorize that. He is the resurrection and the life. But there's three big points that I want to, to make from this passage. Because um, we, could, we, we could be in this passage for a month if we wanted to, but I'm not going to preach for four hours uh, this evening. But the three things that I, I want to focus on in this passage is, is, one, Jesus Christ alone is the resurrection and the life. The second thing, hope is never beyond reach. And the third one is that whenever Jesus says live, dead men come alive. Those are the three things that I want us to focus on. Right, so the first one, whenever Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what is he saying there? He's saying that he is the source of true life. Right? Jesus is making this really like, 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 some people can't believe he has the audacity to make this kind of a claim. That everything outside of him is misery and death and hell. That's what he's saying. I am the life. Everything outside of me is death. There is nothing good apart from me. Right? Outside of him, everything is bleak. Everything is nothing but desperation. There is no hope, both now and in the life to come. Right? So apart from Christ, there's no hope now, and there's definitely no hope later. Right? But what does he mean? Like how, how can he say that? Because right? that's a pretty wild statement for someone to make. Um, so whenever I say in the life to come, that he gives us, uh, that there is no life apart from him in the life to come because he is the source of life. That means this, that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, apart from personally knowing Jesus and trusting him for your salvation, there is only the wrath of God for you. Like if you thought you were walking into like some super happy Easter message, I'm, I'm not sorry. Like sorry, not sorry. Um, there's only God's wrath for you. The Bible actually says the wrath of God abides on the unrighteous. Right, those who don't have their faith in Jesus. There is no forgiveness apart from Christ. There is absolutely no hope in the life to come apart from Jesus. And the reason that that is, I, I, I'm not here just to tell you that and just leave it. The reason why that is, is because God demands justice. Right, think about this. God is a holy God. He says, if you disobey me, just like if you break the law here on earth, there is a punishment for that. He says, if you break my law, Right, just Ten Commandments, just throw those out there, most of you are familiar with that. If you break my law, just Ten Commandments as an example, then there is a penalty. Right? He told Adam, if you eat of the tree in the garden, on that day you shall surely die. He tells the, the Israelites in, in Exodus and Leviticus, if you break my law, there's only going to be death and despair coming your way. Right? That's hell. He said, you, you, you break the law, you suffer the punishment. God demands justice. So apart from Jesus Christ, apart from personally knowing Him, That's all that we have to look forward to whenever we die is the justice of God, the wrath of God on us for eternity. And that's because apart from faith in Christ, we will be rendered guilty. And rightfully so. I think everyone in here can admit that they're a sinner. One of the number one things that we hear in the United States is, well, no one's perfect. Right? That's like a mantra for us. No one's perfect. That should be the most terrifying thought that we have because God actually demands perfection. He says, perfectly obey my law. 
never mess up once, or go to hell. Those are our options apart from Jesus. And everyone knows that they've sinned. Everyone knows that they've thought things they shouldn't think. About. They, they've lied to people, um, lusted, hated, you know, just to name a few. We could, we could make a super long list. Um, but apart from Christ, we're going to be rendered guilty because we actually are guilty. You know, God is righteous, and the penalty for sin must be poured out. But on the flip side of that, there's some really, really solid good news here for Jesus saying that he is the life. You know, that's why he came to earth. That's why Jesus came to earth. He didn't just come to give us some good moral example. He came because God desired to give us life and give us mercy and grace instead of punishment. Right? The law demands, God justice demands, that we perfectly obey. And Jesus says, I will be perfectly obedient in their place. I'll be a substitute for them. They can't do it, but I can. And he says, well, the, well, the penalty for sin must be paid. And Jesus says, I will pay that too. I will be an innocent man, and I will take on the sin of guilty men in order to make them innocent in your eyes. It's all about substitution. That's why Jesus came. God desired to give us life instead of punishment. Right, so that's how we have life in Christ, in the life to come. But even in, even in this life, right, so apart from Jesus, there is no life in the one after this. But even in this life, because right, I know a lot of people are saying, you know, I don't even really know if I believe in an afterlife. Um, I really don't even know what I think about that. I just want to throw this to you. Even in this life, everything apart from knowing Jesus Christ is misery. I've been there, one, but I don't want to speak experientially. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll lay this before you. Um, if you think that there is true life outside of Jesus Christ in this life, that, that life can be fulfilling here. Um, every human being deals with this. You know those times where you feel empty and dead? Can we be honest with ourselves for a minute? You just feel empty inside. You just feel hopeless. You just feel desperation. Like something is just off. Life is not how it ought to be. And you can feel it. It's something deep down within you that you can't fully explain. And I think I can explain that with the Scriptures. The Bible tells us that apart from intimately knowing Jesus, everything that we do is sin. The book of Romans says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And the reason that that is, is everything that we do apart from knowing Christ is sin because we're living life as we see fit. We're not doing anything to God's glory. And we were actually designed, we were created by God to live in a way that gives Him glory and to intimately know Him and enjoy Him forever. But whenever we don't know Jesus, whenever we refuse to put our faith in Jesus and follow Jesus, we're living life as we see fit. And what that is, is that's, that's doing what you want to do. It's ignoring God. But it's actually worse than that because in ignoring God, you're being your own God is what you're trying to do. Lowercase g. God says, hey, I want you to know me. I want you to put faith in my son. I want you to walk in obedience to my command because this is where true life resides. And you spit in his face and you give him the finger and you say, I don't want to do that. I want to be my own God. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to live as I see fit. That's why everything we do apart from faith in Christ is sin. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Both physical death. That's why everyone has to die. It's because everyone's born a sinner. But there's death after death, and that's hell. That's eternal punishment and a conscious hell apart from God. Right? So the wages of sin is death. And the Bible also tells us in Romans that we are slaves to sin. Right? We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to our desires. We're slaves to doing what we want to do apart from Jesus. So I'll throw this out to you. If you ever feel dead and empty 
I'm not saying that this is all cases. If you're a believer, you get a pass on this. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you feel dead and empty from time to time. And, and let's be honest, that's generally the course of life, punctuated by some times where you feel pretty good and then you go back to being pretty low and just life is just very blah and whatever. Um, you feel dead and empty because you're... The reality of your spiritual death, the reality of your spiritual slavery to sin is setting in on you in a very small way. If you're here and you're not a believer and you know that your life, you just, you just feel just blah about everything, you just feel empty, that's because the reality of your spiritual death is setting in on you. That is a foretaste of eternity. That is a foretaste of eternity apart from God. That's why we feel like something is wrong. That's why we despair. That's why we feel empty inside. Or there's this. Or I'll throw this to you. Um, We feel like, and everyone feels like this, whether you're a Christian or not, we feel like there is just more to be had in life. Right? Like in my notes, I put more in in quotes. Because we don't know what the more is. We just know that there's just more. Right? There's just something more to life. Like We know intrinsically, especially if you're an unbeliever, that you're not actually living. Right? But instead, you are seeking what life is actually about. Right? That's the number one reason. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why are we here? That's a question that humanity has always tried to figure out. It's because we know instinctively that we're not actually living. So what we do is we strive for that more. Right, whatever that more might be, right, might be money, right? We just, like, again, we're Americans. Come on, man, we're like the greediest country in the world. If we're going to just call it what it is, um, right? Money might be the more like I just get more money so I can acquire more things and get a nicer house and get a nicer car, um, get like nicer clothes, get the newest tech, whatever it is, um, because more money usually translates to more comfort, right? Because if, if that's maybe that's it, so we're going to strive to get more comfort because we know that there should just be more in our lives. Or maybe it's a relationship, so you spend your life struggling from relationship to relationship um, and, and screwing it up inevitably, uh, but you just feel like there's more, and maybe I'll be completed, maybe I'll find fulfillment in just this next relationship, maybe that'll be it. Um, or maybe it's status. Once I get enough respect from the community, or once I get a good enough job, then I'll feel like I have achieved that more and that fulfillment. Or maybe it's having children. Right? And you just keep having more, which is a strange thought to me. I don't know why anyone would do that. I'm afraid of children. Right? But it's, it's like just, I want more, whatever it is. Status, kids, money, comfort, relationships, whatever it is. And deep down, you know that it's never enough. It's never enough. Right? Let's, just, let's just think about that. More of what you already have can't make you happy. It can't. If it could, then you would be happy already because of the little bit of it that you have. More of the same thing can't make you happy. And that kind of striving to get more is our searching for fulfillment. Because we know that we're empty. We know that the life that we have is not really life at all. And because of that, we feel like there must be something more to life. And that's actually because there is more. There is a real life to be had. There is true, abiding, fulfilling, eternal life to be had. But the thing is, we're just so stupid and blinded by our own sin that we've been looking for it everywhere but Jesus. But here Jesus Christ stands saying, I am the life. Come and live. Sin, right? Living life the way that you 
see fit is not working out very well, is it? Because you still feel empty. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Jesus, there is eternal life and real life now. No more striving to find purpose. No more striving to try to make God love you. He gives rest from all of that. And he gives you true life. And I can attest to that because I was there. A lot of you guys know I used to be an atheist. I used to sleep around. I was partying all the time, looking for the next thing, looking for another relationship, looking for the next high, looking for the next, you know, whatever. More money. I thought, you know, if I get a degree, get a good job, have a bunch of money, sleep around as much as I can and die, maybe that's, that'll be fulfilling. And I tried that, and it wasn't. And I was always striving for more. I was always looking for meaning to the point where I wanted to kill myself because there was no meaning. Everything was vain and meaningless. And then Jesus said, come to me. There's no more searching in me. There's no more striving to find life in me because I am the source of life and I will give it to you. Jesus says he's the life. But maybe you're thinking, this is, this is good for you. Because right? I hear this a lot from people. This is good for you, um, but it's not for me. And that's because I'm hopeless. I'm too deep in sin. Right? You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the ways that I've embarrassed myself. I am too set in my ways. Right? I've lived this life too long. It, it, I, I would be, it would just be so embarrassing for me to have to turn my back on the way that I've been living and the ridicule that I would get from people. I just I can't do it. I can't live that kind of a life following Jesus. And I'm here to say you are partially right. Yeah, you are partially right, but you are actually far worse than that. You don't even know how hopeless that you are apart from Christ. You have no idea. John 8, 38, Jesus Christ says that whoever sins is a slave to sin. Apart from Jesus, Jesus says, you're a slave. You can't free yourself. You are hopeless. You are in bondage to your own desires and your own sin. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, The mindset on the flesh is an enemy of God. It's hostile towards God. It can't please Him, and it won't please Him. Right? So the Apostle Paul says in Romans that apart from Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God and you are a God-hater. That you're hostile against God. And you can't change your own heart. You can't change what you like. You can't change what your knee-jerk reaction is. And Paul says that apart from Christ, you are a God-hater. And Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, he says that apart from Jesus, you are dead in your sins. He says, dead. Dead men don't do much, but just be dead. There's nothing that you can do. And because of all these things, because of your slavery to sin, because of your willful disobedience to God, because of your hostility towards God, Paul says you're a child of God's wrath. You know, a lot of people in America like to think, you know, we're all children of God. It's not what God says. He says, by nature, apart from faith in Christ, you are not a child of God. You are a child of His wrath, that God's wrath abides on you. In the first three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul just drives that point home. In chapter 1, he says, The wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness. So, yeah, you are completely hopeless apart from Jesus. And you are powerless to change this situation. Again, dead men don't raise themselves from the dead. The Bible says you're spiritually dead. 
The Bible says you're a spiritual slave. Slaves don't free themselves, do they? No, they don't. So, apart from God intervening, apart from God being the initial worker, there is nothing that you can do to escape despair in this life or to escape God's wrath against you for your sin in the life to come. You are actually more hopeless than you ever thought you were. You're hopeless in your current state. But, again, for every time that we we say some bad news, the Bible always gives us some good news. Jesus actually does something in spite of hopelessness. Remember the passage we were in, uh, John chapter 11. We're looking at Lazarus being raised from the dead. Bear that passage in mind. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Right? That is a, that's a ridiculously hopeless situation, right? That's even a day more hopeless than Jesus, right? I mean, it's four days. Um, so keep that in mind. Think about how hopeless Mary and Martha were. Lord, if you'd have just been here, he would live, but the time has passed, and there's no hope for him anymore. And what does Jesus do in a hopeless situation? He gets angry. Yeah, that was a curveball. You guys didn't see that one coming, did you? Right? He got angry. Don't forget the passage told us in two different verses, he got angry. He wasn't angry with the mourners. He wasn't angry with Mary or Martha. He was angry with the situation. He was angry at the effects of sin. He was angry at death. He was angry with despair. He was angry with slavery. He was angry with hell. And what does it do? It moves him to act. For Lazarus, it moved Jesus to work a physical miracle and raise him from the dead. And Jesus actually did the same thing for sinful humanity. He looks at our hopeless state and he is provoked into love. He is provoked into acting. He is provoked into coming to earth. I imagine Jesus looks at us in our hopeless state and says, This is not what I intended for mankind whenever I created. I did not intend for desperation. I did not intend for sin. I did not intend for decay. I did not intend for death. I did not intend for punishment. I hate this, and I'm angry, so I'm going to end it. Jesus is provoked into love, and that's why Jesus came to earth, and he lived a life of complete obedience to God, where we sin, and then on the cross suffers the punishment that we deserve in our place. So he is completely righteous, takes our sin, and then gives us his righteousness, and that's why he's raised from the dead, to validate everything that he said. He's raised from the dead as proof that he was the Messiah, that he is the Messiah. He's raised from the dead to undo the power of sin on us, to undo our slavery, to undo the curse of God's wrath that's on us because of our sin. That's why he did everything, and this is why we celebrate. The power of sin has been broken. There is actual living hope in Jesus. No one is too far gone. It might seem that way, like with Lazarus' situation, but Jesus Christ gives hope. He always gives hope. Jesus always stands in opposition to desperation. So here again, feeling hopeless, we see Jesus saying, I am the resurrection. You feel hopeless? You feel dead inside? You feel empty inside? You recognize that you're spiritually dead? You recognize the the, the wrath of God upon you? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I can give life to dead men. I can free slaves. I can turn enemies of God into friends of God. And I can make children of wrath into children of God. 
Jesus doesn't say that he's the resurrection and the life in that order for no reason. Jesus Christ must be both the resurrection and the life. We must first be raised from the dead through Christ in order that we might live to Christ. He is both. And Jesus promises to do all of that for us if we will repent. Now, now that's a church word. The, the Greek word for repent just means to change your mind. It means to acquire a new mind about something. To agree with God that you're a sinner. To agree with God that all of his wrath against you is good and just and you deserve it all. But then to agree with God that Jesus Christ has paid what you owed in your place. That he was perfect because you can't be and that he suffered the wrath that you deserved. That's what repent means. To believe that Jesus died so that you don't have to. And that he lives so that you can live. The Bible says this, this real life, this resurrection is received by faith. Right, this is, faith, faith is just this. A lot of people, and I talked, to, I talked to one of my coworkers about this this week. Faith, people think it's like this ethereal concept. Like, oh, faith, man, it just makes you feel good. Right, that's actually not what the Bible would call faith. The Bible says faith is trusting, trusting in God's promise. God made a promise in Jesus that he'll save us if we just believe that Jesus has saved us. It doesn't get any easier than that. There's nothing you do. He says, trust my promise that I made about my son. And striving is over and real life is yours. But the most beautiful thing that I said we were going to talk about for a second was this. Whenever Jesus says live, dead men come to life. That is the most beautiful truth that I've ever heard in my life. With Lazarus, with Lazarus it happened physically and literally, and with all of humanity, it happened spiritually. So hear me out. If this message that I've just proclaimed to you about Jesus, this good news about Jesus, it's their salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone. If this message about Jesus is the most beautiful thing that you've ever heard, then I can tell you this. Jesus Christ is calling you to life. I can't make this message beautiful to you. I can't. Like, I can't hold up a painting in front of you and say, ah, do you see how beautiful it is? Right? I can hold up a painting and say, do you understand what the picture is? Do you understand the colors? Do you understand the you know, like geometry and symmetry and all this stuff? Do you understand that? And you can say, yeah, but you, I can't make you find this thing beautiful. The gospel is like a painting. This message of what Jesus has done is like a painting. I can't make it beautiful to you. But if this is beautiful to you, then Christ is calling you to life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-6 through six says this, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil... It is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light Shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. If this message has broken you and you want to have this true life that Jesus offers, then Jesus is by his Holy Spirit calling you to life just like he did Lazarus. He is showing you his glory in his suffering and rising in your place. He's causing light to shine on your darkened heart. Jesus is calling you to faith. 
He's calling you to real life. And God demands that all men repent and believe. Trust Him. He's never lied. He's never been unfaithful to His promises. Trust Him. There's only death outside of Christ. There's only wrath and hell outside of Christ. But He is calling you to come and receive true life now. Life that begins now and ends the desperation now and will last into eternity. Never ending life in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Come to Jesus and be raised from the dead. Come and find peace in Christ. And let the struggle and striving to find life and meaning yourself end. Come find rest from all of that. Come to life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are better to us than we deserve. We deserve your punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve to suffer. We deserve to stay slaves. We deserve to stay dead. But Father, thank you for showing us mercy in Jesus. Thank you for the offer of true life, of true resurrection. Father, I pray that people here would not take your grace in vain. That they would know that the Apostle Paul tells us, today is the day of salvation. God, make it real to us that we are not promised tomorrow. We are not promised another opportunity to repent. Father, your wrath is real, but your love is real. Your mercy is real. God, I pray someone here would put their faith in Christ. Father, please cause the light of Christ's glory to shine on someone's heart. We leave this in your sovereign hands, and we will worship you for everything that you've done for us and everything you promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen.